This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey, movie addicts. Welcome to Cinema Fix, your stop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Frank Reddy. Hello. Frank, we distribute, but we don't consume, correct? Correct. That goes against our business model. We distribute high-quality conversation about film, but we're not drug addicts ourselves. You realize by saying that, you're implying that we don't actually watch the movies we review. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying we don't actually listen to the, to- the the conversations we're having afterwards. Andrew just burned both of our careers right there. <laughs> he just took a torch and ignited them. What I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is that this week we went to see a very heralded Kumar 3D Christmas. I feel like it's appropriate. For a show called Cinema Fix, that we would go see a stoner comedy like that. That's all I'm trying to say. I'm trying to make a bad joke, Frank. Just go with it. I know you're trying to make a good, jo- a bad joke. That's kind of his shtick, his <laughs> brand, if you will. <laughs> my brand is kind of rolling my eyes and mouthing at him. <laughs> <laughs> this is part two of episode number eight of Cinema Fix, focusing on a very Hilda Kumar 3D Christmas. So if you're looking for part one, you're listening to the wrong file. Go back and listen to that. Uh, if this is your first time listening to Cinema Fix, be aware that uh, this is the show devoted to the discussion of mainstream blockbuster films on Film Geek Radio, and each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a more general non-spoiler discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth, spoiler-filled analysis, and it's designed to be listened to after you've heard part one, or at the very least, after you've seen the film. So if you haven't done either of those, you should probably go do it, you know? Go smoke some pot and watch Harold and Kumar. We're not endorsing that. <laughs> Go do what you need to do to enjoy Harold and Kumar. Have you read any of our calm launch after? This is how people get sued. <laughs> Just even read like the back cover of the book. This is how people get sued. I'm going to uh, register Film Geek Radio as being based out of Toronto, so it's okay. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, read the book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. In, in case you, you haven't heard, Barry Hilden and Kumar 3D Christmas is the third film in the franchise about the two stoners, Harold and Kumar. This film finds them wrapped up in a crazy Christmas adventure, going on a quest to get a really fancy Christmas tree. Frank, we concluded in part one that it's mindless entertainment, I think I was more forgiving of it than you were. But before we really get into things, here's another clip. What can I do for you, my burglars of turd? I hope you're still alive. What are you talking about? We saw you get shot, remember? You have to be more specific. In that whorehouse? In Texas. You branded a prostitute, remember? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The reason we're here is I was wondering if I can get you one of those Christmas trees from set. Sure, no problem. How'd you know that? I can read your mind. Thanks, Neil. Yeah, thanks, Neil. Yeah, no problem. Hey, Merry Christmas, guys. We'll see you in the fourth one. So, Frank, Very Harold and Kumar 3D Christmas. Yes, sir. You know, I will say this about the Harold and Kumar movies. Yeah, they're kind of, it's lowbrow comedy. Yeah, you could say, in your words, that it's lazy humor. But they're mindless, they're enjoyable, they made me laugh. And let's give Harold and Kumar credit. This is 
probably the the only trilogy of films I can think of starring a Korean guy and an Indian guy, starring two ethnic minorities. Yeah, that's the only – nothing else is coming to mind. Right, and let's be honest. That's kind of a big deal because – you, we can talk about live, how whether or not we, you know, you can say we live in post-racial America, which is BS. And there's a lot of institutionalized racism that still goes on in Hollywood with the types of movies that get made. And I think it says something about the fact that if you ask people, oh, can you name a film with two minorities as the leads – the only ones you might be able to come up with are Tyler Perry movies and Harold and Kumar. Yeah, I could see that. At least, at the very least, I mean, these. This is the only trilogy I can think of that stars two minorities and is aimed at a wide mainstream audience. Yes. As opposed to something like Tyler Perry films, which I feel like are aimed primarily at the African American demographic. Harold and Kumar is designed to be a mainstream stoner comedy that everyone wants to go see. This is true. Any thoughts? I mean, let's give them credit. They're progressive. They're switching things up. They are they're, switching things up. They're a symbol for racial equality in Hollywood. And I'm all for that. I am all for that. I just – I don't want to watch it just because it's politically correct to watch it. <laughs> um, are you saying you didn't find this movie funny? I found parts of it funny. Okay. Yeah, parts of it – I was like, okay, the toddler is taking drugs. Okay. Can we, can we talk about that? Yeah. The three-year-old kid in this film – is just keeps getting high and going crazy. And I have to say, even though it's an easy gag. It really is. It was hilarious. Oh, yeah. I laughed every time. But it, a part of me hated myself for it because I was like, oh, come on. I, I'm sh- This has been done before. Like nothing specific. A specific example isn't coming to mind. But this is, has to have been done before. I mean, I feel like there have been gags related to crazy stuff happening to kids and babies, but I can't I'm not sure if I've seen another film in which it was a running gag throughout the entire film. Yeah, that the kid just kept getting high and on ecstasy and on cocaine. Right. And you know, Thomas Lennon plays uh the father of this toddler. Yeah. And, you know, at the very beginning of the film, he makes some comment about how, like, he's trying to keep her safe and he doesn't want her to become a crack addict. And by the end of the movie, she's on cocaine, ecstasy. She's been making hand motions like she's being double teamed by two guys. I need some more. I need some more. I I mean, it's... (laughs) Please, please give it to me. Yes. I mean... It was just so over the top. I mean, at, at one point they imply, oh, they say, oh, she's a super baby. Yeah. And she's like literally crawling on the ceiling. Yeah. Because drugs have given her superpowers. I mean, it's so over the top and ridiculous. I was just kind of in awe that they went there and was kind of like, you know what? This is ridiculous. This is easy. But they're taking it all the way. And I got to give him credit for that. Oh, yeah. They definitely – they own it. Like they're like, we know this is stupid. We know this is silly. But this is what we want to do. Right. It's like we're going to take this simple idea and we're just going to run with we're it. We're going to commit to it. Yes. Yeah. I mean they're not they're not half-assed about it no. in any way. I mean the claymation scene involves a moment that could have potentially earned it in NC-17 if it was uh, – Live action in which I is it I think it's Harold or is it Kumar? Wouldn't in which one of them just whips out their junk? Oh yeah, in claymation. 
Yeah, I remember that. You know, and it's just this long clay thing that just kind of slithers on the ground and it's completely over the top and exaggerated. And you're just kind of like, wow, they're really committing to this. Yeah. You know, and again, there's there's sort of subverting that idea of this Christmas as a fun family time of the year. I mean, this is something that has been subverted ever since for a while now. I mean, yeah. going back since, let's say, Bad, Bad Santa yeah. was a good example. But again, now here you have Harold and Kumar 3D in which they're like, well, you know what? Let's take this traditional happy Christmas medium of claymation. Let's make a mo- let's, a sequence that's in the style of those old happy Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer cartoons. And let's just throw in a penis. <laughs> it's kind of creative. I mean, it's definitely they're trying to shock people and step on people's toes and – and, you know, and I, I – you got to admire how far they're willing to take it, I think. I don't know if I go so far as to call it creative. Um, I I mean they do commit to it and I did appreciate that. Like they, they, they are – I like that they're aware of the fact that it's a little bit dumb. And right. it's, I think to me that's better than somebody who's unintentionally dumb and who right. thinks what they're doing is great. And again, an, a, a, another moment. The, the the film is really fond of uh, mutilating genitalia. Yeah. There's a scene spoofing the famous scene from A Christmas Story when the kid gets his tongue stuck to the pole. There's a sequence like that involving Harold's penis, which made me cringe because, you know, it's one thing to watch A Christmas Story and think, oh, that, that looks painful, yeah. having your tongue stuck to a pole. It's another thing to imagine it with the penis. You know, again, they don't shy away from actually showing it. Yeah. Showing a penis, either a real penis or a fake one, a mold of one, just getting stretched and <laughs> distorted, and then scalding hot coffee gets spilled on it. And, you know, <laughs> sure, it's lowbrow comedy, but it evoked a reaction. I wasn't sitting there throughout the movie bored or sleepy. It did. It will do things that will get a response out of you, which is something, you know. Do you think that response was predicated on the fact that you're a man and you just kept imagining, wow, if that happened to me, oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. And it, maybe it's the fact that they actually show it, you know, which I wasn't expecting. That, that, but they're just constantly – I feel like they're just – they're always – in the film, they're, they're always trying to just up themselves. And they're just trying to catch you off guard. And they're trying to be in your face. And they're trying to just do things you won't expect, like shoot Santa out of the sky. Which, I, I, I mean, again, this is a movie that's, by that point, you're positive. This is not in the real world. This is a complete fantasy land where they can just have fun and do whatever they want. Yeah, but you should, should you be positive they're not in the real world during the last five minutes of the movie? Like, is that when that revelation should kick in? I don't know. I feel like everything ha- until then has been so over the top and ridiculous. Yeah, okay. No, I, I mean, yeah, I give you that. Let's be honest. The entire premise of the film is dependent on a gust of wind which blows a massive blunt through an open window. A magic massive blunt. A magic massive Claus. blunt that was sent to them by Santa Claus. I mean, Again, that's just so over the top. Yes, because Santa Claus apparently has a huge interest in Harold and Kumar being friends again. Yes. He cares so much. Because that's what Christmas is all about. It's the best gift I could give you. Yes. Did that storyline work for you? That whole they were estranged and they had to find their way back together? You know, it the basic 
idea did. Yeah. The execution, again, I felt like this, the plot of this film and the character moments in this film weren't as well developed and as well earned as character moments in the previous two films. No, they kind of felt like, you know, these beats need to be in there, so we'll just kind of shove them in there, and they didn't really work, I think, on earning them. Right. I I mean, I can definitely see that. Um, and I do think a lot of the conflict at the beginning was a bit forced. It was. You know, the idea that they haven't seen each other in so long and they've had this massive falling out. And I was kind of like, well, why have they had a massive falling out? Because Harold is kind of like, oh, well, you know, every time I'm around Kumar, something happens and there's a disaster and things get ruined. And I'm thinking to myself, well, right. But at the end of each film, you come back together and your friendship is reaffirmed and – so it's like it almost implied there was like a film in there that just wasn't released. And right. He didn't forgive him at the end of that one. Harold and Kumar 2.5, Harold and Kumar ruin their friendship. Yeah, and it's tough to it's tough to believe because like I've seen parts of the first one and I'm sure the second one works on a similar scale is that these they, they go on these huge adventures where all this terrible stuff happens and if you can forgive Kumar for that, what was it that finally was the last straw? Right. And I mean the it's really interesting if, to look at how the series has progressed because the first film, for all of its ridiculousness, is by far the most grounded in reality of all of them. Yeah. I mean, in the second movie, they're mistaken as terrorists. They're taken to Guantanamo Bay. They meet George W. Bush. I mean, it's all over the country. It's this crazy adventure. And the third one, I felt like they were like, okay, let's to- let's dial it back a bit. Let's not go crazy with like crazy locales yeah let's keep it all in the same city shooting santa is where we draw the line right but let's still make it as over the top and ridiculous as we can within this quest road trip formula and the character stuff didn't work for me quite as much especially like the relationship dynamics like kumar finding out he got this girl pregnant and then at the, at the end they're magically back together and everything's happy and yeah. i was like well that didn't feel earned no to me so i definitely feel like there's not much there from a character perspective but from a gag and comedy perspective again i was entertained and i thought there was definitely enough there that like i said i wasn't bored yeah even if in the back of my mind at times i was saying oh this is shallow comedy or oh this is really lowbrow and easy I had to admit to myself, okay, it's kind of making me chuckle. Yeah, it's just it's very superficial. And right. I think, you know, we're repeating ourselves from last time where it's just it's just one of those things where if if you don't mind that, if you don't mind going just for the surface appeal and easy laughs, then you'll be fine. Right. I and you know, the, this is a film in which entire plot lines kind of really don't really they don't go anywhere. No. For example, the mob boss plot line. Exactly. I mean, there's this incredible sequence in which there's this big shootout in his penthouse or whatever, and cocaine is flying everywhere. Bullets are going. Things are uh, exploding uh, as bullets hit the wall and everything. And the 3D, I thought, was really cool. And you've got this big shootout. And then it winds up with Thomas Lennon and his toddler and the actor's name. I can't remember who plays, who plays Amir from College Humor. Good for you, by the way, Amir, getting a job in Harold and Kumar. Uh, he, you know, it basically, that, that whole plot just comes down to them sitting in a closet for the rest of the movie. Yeah. 
and the mob boss sitting and watching Tyler Perry films. Mm-hmm. And that's – again, that's doesn't really go anywhere. And it's really entertaining to see what this high little toddler does over the course of being in the closet. But that's really all it is. It yeah. doesn't really develop much from there. No, it really doesn't. I mean the plots are really just there to facilitate the gags. Yes. The movie works on, on this basic formula of as soon as Harold and Kumar s- scrape themselves out of one comedic situation, they immediately tumble into another. Right. Which tumbles into another. And it's hard to build like a cohesive plot around that. Right. I feel like with something like the first film and maybe even to some extent the second one, you could argue that those were – I mean, the story to some extent came first in those films. Like they started out with an idea of, okay, first movie, let's just make it a road trip movie about two guys trying to get to White Castle. Mm -hmm. And let's have the joke spring from there. This movie, I felt like they were probably just sitting around, probably getting high. Yeah. And they were like, you know what would be crazy if we had a Harold and Kumar Christmas movie? Oh, my God. What if we do a claymation sequence? Oh, man, what if they shoot Santa? That's hilarious. That's hilarious. Write it down. And then they had to think, oh, how do we come? How do we connect this all? How do we get there? Yeah. So it's definitely gags over narrative. I would agree. And it was a shame because I was kind of interested in that Harold and Kumar dynamic. Like, why did they grow apart? Like, what happened? Because I feel like that's one of those things where it's like you have the opportunity because the movies have stretched across almost 10 years where it's kind of like, Toy Story 3 where they do where they uh, incorporate the fact that time has passed into the story and that kind of adds to the poignancy of it. I mean, I mean, I think there was a good story to be had and, you know, after college, you do you don't see your friends all the time and you do start to grow apart and I think there was a good story to tell there, but I just I don't think, I think they, they kind of ignored it. I was a little disappointed. Yeah, and it's interesting because you can tell the movie's kind of self-aware. Yeah. At times, like, this is definitely the most meta- I think of all the Harold and Kumar films. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a joke at one point when someone says to Kumar, oh, something like, oh, well, what are you going to do? Get a job at the White House? And, of course, Cal Penn actually did work for the Obama administration yeah. for a while. So there's jokes like that. And at one point, of course, we need to talk about the NPH scene mm-hmm. because everyone loves Neil Patrick Harris in these films. Uh, at one point, you know, he makes a joke like, oh, I'll see you in the fourth one. Yeah. Kind of thing. So you can tell they're kind of just sitting back and poking fun at themselves at this point. Um, but what, what did you think of the Neil Patrick Harris scene? I thought it was funny. I thought, you know, of course they're going to poke fun at the fact that he's gay, but they portray him to be this massive ladies' man at the same time. Right. And he so clearly has – Neil Patrick Harris so clearly has a fun time doing it. Well, right. And it's, it's, it's interesting because I believe Harold and Kumar was first released before he came out of the closet. Yes. And his persona in these movies has always been he'll show up and they'll have the most insanely vulgar – I mean there's so much immorality associated with Neil Patrick Harris in these films. So many drugs, so much promiscuous sex and at the end of the second film, he ended up getting shot and it looked like he was dead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it, it's it, – to 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 have to subvert that and to think, oh, shoot, what are we going to do now that he's come out of the closet as gay? I thought they handled it really well. Yeah, where it was just like an act to pick up ladies. And he, I mean, he plays it. He plays it very well. Yes. He he does the uh, the uh, heterosexual perverted. 
Yeah, he makes himself look like an asshole really well. Yeah. And, you know, he's got jokes about Clay Aiken or like, oh, yeah, all of us gay entertainers were actually straight. Yeah. And this just helps us get women. Yeah. Kind of thing. And I thought that was a funny kind of gag. I mean, arguably, you could say that's offensive to gay people, but whatever. This is Harold and Kumar. They're making kind of making fun of everybody. Yeah, I do. I enjoy the relationship he has with the two of them. It's yeah. just kind of like, oh, these are just these two guys I happen to run into all yeah, the time all for the no time. apparent reason. Yeah. And he's just like, what can I do for you guys? Right. Right. So, I, you know, I thought that sequence was handled pretty well. And even though there were there are jokes in these movies that I feel like I shouldn't be laughing at because there will be jokes that are compl- that are just built entirely on stereotypes. Yeah. Like, oh, you still got a bit of that Jew in you. Yeah. Or his father-in-law, played by Danny Trejo, shows up. And, of course, he brings the entire family, which is massive. Yeah. Because, of course, as we know, all Latin American people have huge families. There's that stereotype. And, I mean, oh, of course, there was the idea in um, that's been kind of joked about from the – even from the first film. Oh, well, you're Korean and you're – Indian, so of course you must be really smart and you must be going to business school and getting your medical degrees. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, and so it will deal with these stereotypes, but maybe it's the fact that, again, because it stars two minorities, it's okay. Like, I feel like if this was a movie starring, I don't know, Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah, people might not be as cool with it. Maybe. I can see that. I don't know. It might be. I mean, yeah. I think some of the jokes they could probably get away with, but then there are other jokes where I'm just kind of like, ah, I don't know if they could do that. Yeah. You know, without coming across as racist and offensive. I could see that. It's just kind of like, I guess, yeah, there's all these stereotypes about our ethnicity, yeah. so it's okay if we embrace those. Yeah. With the two of them, I think it's like, it's like we, we're it's making like, fun of everybody. They can, make fun of, they can make fun of everybody as long as they remember to make fun of themselves. Yeah, exactly. We can make fun of everybody because we're taking shots at ourselves, too. Right. The last thing I want to talk to you about, Frank, is what may be one of the greatest ideas ever committed to film, and that is Wafflebot. Wafflebot. <laughs> Wafflebot. There were so many things in this film that I cannot tell if they were just jokes or if they were like, hey, we're having these script problems. We need to connect this dot and this dot. We need something to come in and kind of get it all taken care of. I mean, again, you could, it feels like they were high writing the script and they were like, oh, we need a goofy sidekick character. What if it's a robot? Who makes waffles? What if it's a robot who makes waffles? And they squirts hot syrup onto the villain's face? Out of a phallic-like appendage. Yeah. Yes. This is all gold. <laughs> I will say, I thought Waffle, I thought Wafflebot was... Hilarious. I thought Wafflebot was pretty funny too because it's so random. I wanted to see a movie all about Wafflebot. Okay. I, I you know, Wafflebot is such a simple character. It's it's like Wally. Yeah. It's almost making fun of Wally. Not much dialogue, very simple sentences, and yet there's this innocence about Wafflebot. He bonds with Kumar. That you're immediately drawn to. Yeah. I mean, when we first meet Wafflebot, he's He's being abused by Neil Patrick Harris. (laughs) And you're like, oh, I don't know if robots have feelings, but if they do, poor Wafflebot. I don't know. It's so simple. Just these lines like, I love you, Kumar. I mean, (laughs) I got to be honest. I felt more for Wafflebot 
than I did for most of the characters in the film. Yeah. I had an emotional connection to Wafflebot. Andrew was weeping openly at times. Oh, the, man. When Wafflebot's power was about to die, I was like, no, Wafflebot, you can't go. Damn it, you brave little cooking machine. He sacrificed himself for them. He's yeah. the hero of this movie. I want to see a Wafflebot film. Spinoff. I mean, I, I got to be honest. If they do make a fourth Harold and Kumar film, which isn't confirmed because uh, I believe it was in the contracts for John Cho and Cal Penn that they had to do three movies yeah. if they were successful. So if there is a fourth one, it'll be after some contract renegotiations and stuff like that. Yeah. But honestly, if bring back Wafflebot if you're listening, studio heads. Wafflebot is amazing. I would watch an entire movie about Wafflebot. You know, if you just want to make a, a a movie called Wafflebot Goes to White Castle, Wafflebot makes waffles for ninety minutes. I'll watch that movie. I will. <laughs> oh, Andrew! Waffle Wafflebot takes on the Russian mom. Great tell, film, right there. You can tell Andrew's a very very lonely man looking for connection. <laughs> I am looking for connection. I want a Wafflebot of my own. He'll be my friend. We'll make waffles together. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be great. It's me and Wafflebot against the world. Yes. Yes. I'll wake up every morning and he'll say, Andrew, would you like waffles? And I'll love his waffles. And he'll say, I love you, Andrew. We are best friends. It, I mean, it'll be perfect. Perfect. I'm surprised Wafflebot didn't turn against uh, Harold. Oh, okay. To take his place. Like out of jealousy? Yes. Bam. Plot of the fourth film. <laughs> that is. Right there. Right there. Yes. Wafflebot becomes the villain. Yes! Because he's trying to kill Harold. Oh, my God. Amazing. He does it all to get Kumar. Yes. You thought I was dead. <laughs> <laughs> I will now shoot hot waffle batter at you. And you get this great backstory about how after they left him all shot up in the factory, a bomb came Oh, no, came no, wait. Oh, did, at the end of the film, wasn't he with them? I can't did remember. Did Santa pick him up, too? I think he might have. Okay, so the elves repaired him in Santa's workshop. Yeah. But he decided... He didn't want to live in the North Pole. He wanted to be with Kumar. Yes. But then he comes back to find Kumar happily hanging out with Harold. Right. Kumar calls Harold his best friend. And, okay, and everything's better now with Kumar and his girlfriend. Yeah. And their young child. Yes. Here we go. Plot for the fourth film. <laughs> Wafflebot kidnaps his baby. Yes. Out of revenge. There we go. And they have to go on a quest to <laughs> rescue Kumar Jr. from Wafflebot's evil <laughs> Waffle empire. <laughs> Wafflebot. Yes. Are you listening, Studio Heads? This is gold. This is great. Right here. This is your basic road trip formula and quest situation. You can spring tons of ideas off from this. Waffle Bot's like a tragic villain. Okay, please email uh, CinemaFix at Film Geek Radio, and I'll send you the address on where to mail these checks. Yeah. Okay? Royalty checks. Yes. All right. I, I don't have anything else I want to say Neither about it. There's not enough to, to go into. Except I love you, Wafflebot. If you're listening. And on that note. All right. That'll wrap it up for this episode of Cinema Fix. Be sure to tune in next week when we will be discussing Immortals. Yay. You know, is this the sequel to End Time? Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> this is the prequel. This uh, is this is End Time set within Greek mythology. Yeah. This is after they've moved past the concept of using it as money. And now they're just all immortal, period. <laughs> yes. Henry Cavill is the descendant of Justin Timberlake. <laughs> or the great, 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 great grandfather. Yes. If this is a prequel. True. 
that's how they got the, the they invented this time as money thing. It was given to them by the gods. By the gods. Yes. The gods said, we're going to put numbers on all your arms now. Only the us gods can be immortal. I can see it. Yeah. All right. Well, we would love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at www.filmgeekradio.com. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you like this episode, please write us a review. That would help us get the word out about the program. You can also tip us through the website. We really appreciate it. Uh, we do rely on your support to keep the network running and to cover all of our costs. Frank, where can people find you online? I'm on Twitter at Freddy, and I have a website, Quite Frankly Entertainment. QuiteFranklyEntertainment.com? Yes. All right. I'm Andrew Johnson. You can find some of my writing at www.TheCoolishHobEffect.com. I also really want to buy the domain name iloveyouwafflebot.com. Maybe that'll happen. I'll think about it. For Christmas. Maybe. Yeah. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash writerandrew. If you do follow me, be sure to send me a message letting me know you're a listener, and I will follow you back. We have to go write our spec script for Harold and Kumar 4. Let's do that. Wafflebot returns. Let's do that. I really <laughs> think we should. All right. Give, like, weekly updates. <laughs> I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Frank Reddy. Have fun this week getting high on cinema. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio. Yeah.